You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Transform the way you hunt with the all-new base cellular trail camera connected by the Moultrie Mobile app. Moultrie Mobile's industry-best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up-to-the-minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, and a whole lot more. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Attention. If you're an eastern whitetail hunter with dreams of hunting elk, antelope, or mule deer out west, but are overwhelmed with the knowledge gap, look no further than Outdoor Class. Outdoor Class features professionally produced courses taught by the world's leading outdoor experts and can be consumed on your phone, computer, or TV. Visit OutdoorClass.com and start the process of making your hunting dreams come true. Use discount code EMPIRE20 at checkout for 20% off. The Houndsman XP podcast is fueled by Joy Dog Food. Joy Dog Food has a rich tradition of supporting the Houndsman of America. Founded in 1945, Joy is proud of its history and the relationship it has built with the American Houndsman. And in 76 years, there's never been a recall. Made with 100% American-made high-quality ingredients, Joy Dog Food has one of the highest calorie-dense formulas on the market. For 76 years, this made-in-America product has kept hunting dogs in the field day after day, season after season. And when we say made in America, Joy has a long track record of fighting for American freedoms by being on the front lines against the animal rights movement and their extremist tactics. Joy will fuel your hounds and fight for your freedoms, fueled by Joy. is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in here. The original podcast for the complete Houndsman. 
The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Get up there! Yeah! 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 Good boy! Come on, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many day, how many days a week can you spend on As much as I can, to be honest with you. Anytime that I get, I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. <laughs>
kids snacks in the house. What's my excuse? People are always like, you're a total health nut. I'm like, dude, I just ate like a salami and turkey sandwich. You know what I mean? On white bread. <laughs> Is that bad? That's, that's not bad. Yeah, I don't think it's very healthy. I'm sure there's healthier options. I could have like a, like what Joe Rogan eats or something. <laughs> MCT oil coffee and like elk with jalapenos or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there's a little bit of a difference there. Um, <clears throat> it's called money. Yeah. 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 And time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. One time Chad called me for a business meeting and he was stuck in the snow on the side of the highway. And I was like, are you going to like, you can call another time. He's like, nah, it's fine. I'll get out. What do you need to talk about? I was like, uh, <laughs> he's okay. a beast, man. <laughs> he's, he's crazy, dude. Yeah. yeah, he is. He is. He's been posting those Instagram <clears throat> reels and stuff with Roxy, his daughter in there. I don't know if we should mention or host kids names or not. What do you think? Not up to me. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I might bleep that out. I'm I'm going to go it'll say with bleep. <laughs> yeah. Who would name their daughter bleep? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Terrible joke. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. What's well, up, man? Hey, I'll tell you what. We've been uh we've been we're working on this fair chase thing, you know, a lot because it bothers me a lot. It bothers me a lot that, um, you know, other hunting groups and, and, and things might have an opinion that hunting with hounds isn't fair chase. I just, I want to, part of what we do is control the narrative, you know, or, or at least define the narrative and, and try to try to get other people on board with it to help us make some headway here. But, yeah, I, I don't know. It's just like it's like wh- why would another hunting group try to you know try to try to cast shade on on another ethical hunting group? Is it a question of ethics or I mean are we just that far gone in our ethics? Our views No, our I ethics? just think it's people don't people always are quick to cast shade on what they don't know, right? I mean, it is crazy how much shade is thrown at hound hunters and trappers by the wider hunting community, but I mean, even within any like archery community, you know, you have your longbow hunters that are like, oh, you know, anything over 25 yards and you're not a real hunter and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like, I just think, yeah, people are bored. <laughs> well, I, I just, I'll yeah. give you an example. I'll give you an example of something that, that just popped up this past week. Uh, <clears throat> there's another podcast. It's a white-tailed hunting podcast and i'm just going to call him out his name is don higgins and uh, he writes for several major publications and he was taught he got a question about about allowing coyote hounds to run on his property during the during the off season and he came out and he just said that that is absolutely the worst thing that you can do allowing dogs on your property that dogs are even worse than, than ha- letting people. And he calls it his sanctuary. And, um, and then he even goes on to make a cloaked threat that if people don't know how to keep dogs off their property to send them to him and he can show them how to keep dogs off their property. I mean, this is a major voice in the, in the hunting community. I'm just it's, tired. I'm tired of it. Yeah. I, I just, people, the the horn porn kind of world has really taken extremely heavy root. That and that, I hey that that term by the way, um, 
I originated it here on the podcast, but I got it from a coworker uh, that while we were conservation officers, he, <clears throat> he, he coined that term horn porn and, uh, uh, antler I just totally stole it from you. <laughs> antler, antler auto erotica. That's what he used to say. We used to stop these guys in the middle of the night out there shining for deer and, and doing all that stuff. And, and Steve would come back to the, you know, get back to the car or we'd get back to the car and they, you know, they'd be legal. And he's like, We've been sitting out here for four hours trying to find a bad guy and some guy that can't control his his antler autoerotica thinks he's got to come out here and spotlight everything and and pull us out of our hiding spot. And we he just go on a rant. He says he's probably got a bunch of horn porn magazines by the toilet <laughs> in his house. <laughs> what would be the coon the raccoon hunting equivalent? There is no, yeah, we're not, we're not autoerotic about that. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it's only sidehound guys and deer hunters. Oh, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just feel like, you know, especially as the world's becoming more parcelized, you know, where like people are having the smaller and smaller sections of land that they're running and monetizing people mm -hmm. are getting in their heads, the craziest things to try to maximize their leases and I'm saying this fair quotes, everyone's success rate by trying to minimize like everything they can possibly think. And they're like, oh, dog barking. I mean, we know why, right? But and we also know that there's little to no, there, there is data that proves that there's little to no effect from coon hounds running around in there catching uh, deer. Also, don't you think it would be wise to desensitize your deer to vehicles, dogs, noise? So if you really want to do oh, that success count. rate, that, no, that doesn't, that doesn't count. Um, you know, it, it just, farmers have been doing that for, I know. farmers have been doing that for 200 years. All you got to do is get on a John Deere tractor and wear a pair of brown car hearts and go yeah. pick some fence and deer will walk up to you. In my world, it's white trucks because all government rigs are white trucks. If you drive anything but a white truck, you will never see wildlife. But if you just drive those white trucks around, animals will just stand on the side of the road and stare. You had a coyote like nine feet away from my truck on the side of the the two-track road just staring at me like a week ago. And yeah. it didn't care at all. And uh, so anytime you take a personal rig out there, you won't see a thing. They, they're hiding. But yeah, I, I that's what I always thought. It's like you think you would want to desensitize your lease to these things to make it even better. So like you don't have to be sneaking around and stuff. <laughs> I've got, I don't know. I've, I really think, and you, you did a podcast on the way animals see the way the eyeball <laughs> works. And I've personally witnessed this. I can walk across a field in a pair of blue jeans and a flannel shirt and horses, they don't react to it. They're, they know what I'm doing, but I can walk through that same field with camouflage on and all of a sudden, the same horses that I feed every day when I put the camouflage on, just like, what the yeah, they just, they, they come unglued. They don't know what to do. They don't know how they, <laughs> how they're seeing it. And, and I feel like the deer are the same way. They start seeing these weird globs and blobs moving around and people moving, moving like predators. And all of a sudden it's, they freak out and, mm -hmm. and, you know, it, you you mentioned something that was key there. You mentioned the study the 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 study on on the use of hounds and deer movement. And for some reason, deer hunters don't want to accept that. They don't they don't want to to recognize that as an authority. So my new line is when people say, "Oh, that's an old study," 
It's like, well, where my rebuttal is, where's your new science yeah. to say that it does? There is yeah. none. That, well, and it's like, they're like, or you're, you're cherry picking data. And it's like, mm -hmm. well, yeah, I at least have a cherry tree. You know what I mean? Like, that's not even cherry picking. I mean, that was a specific study to done disprove. for that reason. Yeah. Yeah. And it's how about like, like the millions of pictures of dudes standing at coon trees with their dogs barking and a buck laying like, 30 yards away in the bushes staring at all, him laying all down you, all you've got to do is is make a post on on facebook and ask for those pictures and you will get flooded with pictures exactly. of or in video of walking right past a bed of deer a buck a doe whatever and a, you can hear the hound hound treat you know and you just walk right past it and then they videotape them walking back out also, and I hear this all the time, aren't coyotes like the worst thing that's ever existed for deer? That's what I always hear all the time. So it's like you would think you'd want them to be driven out. Hunting them with dogs is not only a way to eliminate them directly, but also to passively drive them out of an area because yeah. traps don't elicit that evasion response like dogs do. Dogs physically drive them out of the area and keep them out instead of just they get caught in a leg hold trap. And Skippy, the coyote jumping around, and the other one is just like, I don't even know what that was. I don't really, you know, he'll run off because it's got spooked, but he's not leaving. Well, he'll even come back and you'll catch a double in the sets, you know. So I've we've had several coyote sets over the years where we caught doubles. They come up and it's like, what are you doing? And then it's like, oh, what's that smell? Boom. And then you catch a double. So, mm -hmm. you know, trapping, trapping is very effective. There's Absolutely. no doubt about it. Um, but the the real the real rub is having this idea that somehow hounds are hurting your hunting opportunity and i but anyway i mean and then they start attacking us on the on the fair chase the fair chase thing and that's where i really want to go and talk about in this podcast is we still have we still got a lot of work to do on defining that narrative and and developing that narrative and sharpening our skills as houndsmen to be able to talk about it because i can tell you this is an example of something that i know several people have gone through uh we were in condon montana and we were at the sleepy bear sleeping bear lodge and we were in there eating lunch and a lady walked in saw our hound rigs we were lion hunting came in and, and she engaged us in this conversation about how hunting with hounds was not fair chase, but she was a spot and stalk hunter. And she said that it was not fair. So I bring that story up and I tell that story because you've got to be prepared to have the conversation without flying off the handle. That's right. Me. First control yeah. your anger. Cause I'm yeah. already rolling my eyes so bad. It hurts, you know, yeah. Yeah. cause your binoculars are totally fair you know you're like it, what, <laughs> how do you how do you this is the thing about ethics that's a slippery slope is that it's all opinion you know and so you got to be careful about that you have yours they have theirs but at the same time when it's clear with like undeniable like I, I hate to say facts because it's the wrong word to use for opinions but like when you have undeniable evidence to support your claim that's what we need to practice but without going we, crazy but being a leader well, shouldn't we be developing our opinions on facts yes, and not on emotion? Yeah. You know, when I lay, break my leg, I want my doctor to have clear protocols on how to fix my broken leg. That's not based on his ideas and opinions, but based on 
facts that have worked for fixing broken legs and not getting infected and healing wrong. So yeah, yeah. definitely, definitely. And that's why we're here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, just diving into the narrative, I think, I think one thing that we need to look at is this total, it's, it seems to me more of a trend. There's a real resistance to science in our, in our community especially among hunters. Um, and I don't, I understand why, because science was weaponized. You, I think you used that term last week when we were talking about it, you know, science was weaponized as a political weapon, you know, just by all not, sides, by, <laughs> yeah, by everybody, Yeah, you know, just a couple of years ago. And it developed this huge distrust up until then. Everybody was like, well, what does the science say? What does the science say? And one of the things that we have hung our hat on as a hunting community as a whole, not just houndsmen, not just, you know, elk and deer hunters or whatever is science-based wildlife management. So we have to embrace, we either have to embrace the science or we have to totally reject it. And I don't see anybody doing that. I, I find it especially frustrating because in our realm, in this particular context, people have such hardened opinions about wildlife and are 100% clueless for the most part about real wildlife science. And I'm, this is literally both sides. I had a guy talking to me yesterday and I was just listening to him talking about how like bobcats will eat every turkey, coyotes will eat every deer fawn and wolves will eat every elk if they're not like actively hunted like down and i'm like okay i mean they existed before humans were here obviously humans play an important part in the ecosystem and we need to manage predators there is no question but like come on they're not gonna eat everything that's that's great they would die too so it's like and then i hear the other side that are like you know actually wolves can cure cancer if you pet them you know what i mean like there's there's those <laughs> they can change too. rivers they can yeah, change rivers. Yeah. They've done it in uh, Yellowstone. So yeah. So yeah. it's just like uh, anyway. So yeah, it's really frustrating. But that's where you know, like, there are. I work with a big game hunter who thinks hunting with hounds is like quote super trashy end quote. So it's like, you know, obviously I can. Well, let's it's just, important to yeah. What, let's break how, it down. What, yeah, break that down because I want to know. Since you've engaged this guy, I want to know. And he's my friend. We're friends. So like, yeah, I mean, that's it's fine. Yeah. yeah. I've got, I've got friends as well that, that <clears throat> control large tracts of land that I hunt here on and I respect their opinion because I don't own it. So yeah. they say, Hey, wait until after deer season, if you don't mind. Okay. You know, that's, that's your opinion. You control the property. And for the other nine months of the year, pretty much I can hunt there. So yeah. I allow, you know, I, I'm not going to stand there. I'll give them the right information and I'll say, Hey, have you ever heard about this? Yeah. But you know, I, I, uh, I'd rather you not be there. Hey, that's your right as a landowner. I respect it and, and stuff like that. But let's hear what, hear what your friend had to say and why he thinks that hunting with hounds is super trashy, because I think we have to start there and then work our way up. So obviously, I like to talk about running dogs, right? Duh. No um, way. Yeah, surprise. <laughs> and, uh, you know, well, I'm speaking specifically in the context of sight hounds here because he already has hard an opinion about scent hounds, I'm sure, but this is leaking over into my world. The first thing he says is he's like, 
it's so unfair to just like run something to death. And I'm like, okay, well, so let me break down the, t- the two. I think there was two or three points. One, it's unfair to just run something down to death. That's like not cool. It's, it's, it's like unsporting to run an animal down. Two, you're not hunting. The dogs are. So like, it's not even fair if you're not hunting. What, why, what is the point of you going out and hunting if you don't even hunt? The dogs do. And then three, it's, it's, you're causing your, and again, this is comes from lack of complete ignorance. The dogs themselves are disturbing the ecosystem when a, when a a still hunter is a very quiet, silent witness to nature and is not, not disturbing the land. So those are the three things that I get mostly out of it. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, that, let's just that was good the, run through three. Let's break them down. Let's go right through the three. Yeah. So like the first one is like obviously the worst one ever. And and I'm speaking, I'm speaking to my side hound hunters now, you guys. So like what Chris interject wherever you want and change it based on, you know, the more scent hound oriented ideal there. But like the first part is where it's like, it's, it's, it's cruel to run something down. And I kind of look around and I'm going, how every other animal ever except humans kills its prey. That's kind of weird that you would think that. Also, that's what we did for the majority of our species history. So I don't see how that's unfair. And then also it's, and this is the core argument, you guys. This is like the core point that I always bring up. A jackrabbit or a coyote, primarily jackrabbits for me, does not care. It it just exists on this landscape right and also it is fully aware what your dog is pursuing it so that a firearm is shot at it how is a projectile traveling 1800 feet per second that is completely imperceptible to sound and sight before it impacts their flesh how is that more fair than an animal running 40 miles an hour directly at it that it can match in both speed agility and distance that it has evolved for millions of years to defend itself against a land-based carnivore pursuing it across the desert that is its home where it lives it knows everywhere it needs to go how is that less fair also and i'm going to take this directly no 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 no, don't yeah go ahead go ahead no no go ahead i want to get back to that i want yeah so i think we can expand that you can expand that to um animals all over anywhere about the predator prey type yeah. thing you know I, you, you said a couple key things there we have been we have evolved our technology to make hunting easier whereas my dog out there pursuing is relying on instincts that are tens of thousands of years old that have been refined to do a specific job um Nobody cries about when when a wolf runs a moose. Down. Yeah, nobody yeah. nobody cries when a when a bobcat you know catches a rabbit. Maybe some beagle guys do. Uh, I know that bobcats have been getting a lot of hate because of turkeys and and um, uh, deer populations, things like that. But predator prey is what that is the ultimate fair chase. You know, even the most hardened <clears throat> animal loving anti-hunter doesn't they look at that as the natural order of things so how is it different when when our dogs do it well so he countered me by saying like 
okay, it's more quote unquote natural, but it does that make it more humane where like you could just run up and club a pig to death with a, with an Oak club, or you could just shoot it in the head with a 22. He's arguing that it's less humane to run one down with dogs than it is to shoot one. Right. And oh. so, uh-huh. Oh yeah. So I counter by saying, okay, the humane aspect is a moot point because what if you make a bad shot, right? You're just, you're completely basing your entire crux of your argument that you head shoot everything, which I've been big game hunting with firearms my entire life. I've never headshot anything intentionally because that is not the most humane way to kill an animal. First of all, and he is also a big time hunter. He should know better. And two, the humane aspect, when, when a dog catches a hare, do you think it's this like crazy drawn out saw torture scene? No, it's a six pound animal being caught by a 50 pound greyhound with knives in its mouth. It's dead in seconds. Also, mm -hmm. again, I agree with you. Even It's so funny that it's typically the hunter, the people that are hunters that are the most opposed to this, to that. They say it's inhumane to hunt with dogs. It is not the quote unquote libtards because they're the ones that are like, yeah, it, it's, it's how they would have died in the wild. Like a coyote catches them. That's exactly how they die. You know, I, a hawk, I don't know about that. Well, uh, at least in my experience, it is. Yeah, and the people the people I work with, that's how you know the the, the hunting crowd. The hunting crowd isn't directly <clears throat> going out there and trying to uh, eliminate hunting with dogs, though. They're not. No, they but, may but, be. They may be indirectly, and they may be sitting back silently and thinking, "Okay, well, if they're paying attention to them right now, then they can't come after me. So we'll go ahead. We'll we'll make them our sacrificial lamb so that we can hunt a few more years." I'm just speaking in my direct experience mm -hmm. because I agree in a broad spectrum. Of course, you're right. And I agree with you on that very much. Like I'm talking about in my specific, I, I typically get more outspoken criticism of hound hunting from other hunters because they're comfortable talking to me about it because we're all hunters here. And also because, yeah, some people are just really vocal about their mm -hmm. terrible opinions. <laughs> but yeah. And so that's what I always say is like the humanity aspect of the humane aspect of it is, is completely a moot point. There's a, it's all swift and it can all be done on inhumanely as well. That's just not, it's it's just a moot point. Like it doesn't, it's just, it's cherry picking to try to prop up a bad point. And then, so the two, the second thing where it's like, you're not doing any of the work. The dogs are for scent hound guys, especially that's BS. And we all know that every person that goes hunting with you is like, for the first time is like, wow, this is way harder than I thought. You know, and the the sighthound guys, we do have a little bit less of that pedestal to stand on for sure, because these dogs really are more of a complete hunting style. You know, they will find the game, run it down, catch it, retrieve it all on their own. But even still, it's a team effort. I'm out there with them. And even if it's not, even if you do have these dogs that can find it all on their own. Okay. What about any, what, if you like watching a nature documentary where a cheetah can catch a gazelle, it's cool to watch. You know what I mean? It, it doesn't make you any less like noble or, or like, um, validated to shoot something than it does to watch a predator prey interaction, except those predators are your buddies. Like, it's just, a I don't know. Well, this is you, where it gets tough with ethics. You said something that I liked. You <clears throat> said noble, you used the term noble and somewhere we lost that because the nobles in the old class system were the only ones that could hunt. 
Yeah, because hunting they, with dogs is super expensive. Yes. Yeah. And and but not only that, but they were they the the peasants, the low low underlings weren't even allowed to own dogs or or hunt. So if you go back to the sidehound, that's where lurchers came from. Yeah. The 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 royalty the in the Middle East are the ones who could afford to do that. So how yeah. did we lose it? How did that shift? How did that change? Here's my hypothesis. I think modern veterinary care really changed that. I think the mass production of dog food really changed that. Mm -hmm. I think by us being able to look, imagine everyone, imagine how hard it would be to keep a pack of good, healthy dogs going if you didn't have parvo vaccinations, distemper vaccinations, dog food, you know, just in a bag that you just go buy a complete dog food. You feed your dogs the same kibble their whole lives and they could live and hunt for you. Mm -hmm. And back in those days, you didn't have any of that. Now, the food aspect may not be as tough, you know. Feed them meat, feed them corn, feed them, you know, scraps, whatever. But the disease aspect, the cleanliness of the kennels, managing a hound pack would be so much tougher. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that that shift has helped anyone keep a great pack of hounds now. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my hypothesis, at least. And yeah. and then culturally, you know, this is just a fact of the world, not even America, but the population is becoming more urbanized. And as bad as it is for this particular narrative, I think overall that's a good thing because if the 8 billion people in this world lived in a rural fashion, we'd have no space. So it's in the end probably better that we're compacting everyone into these mega cities, but it sure sucks uh, for about that. the uh, cultural uh, changes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole <clears throat> different, that's a whole different topic, I think, but Hey, have you checked out our website? houndsmanxp.com we've got a lot of cool stuff over there there's links over to our patreon all of our bonus material is there on patreon you get a link right to that you can also check out all of our awesome sponsors there and a lot of those links have built-in discount codes so when you click on that link it takes you to the website of our sponsor and it's got a built-in discount code you can find companies like cajun lights dogs are treed you can even go there and support freedom hunters all right from our website we're also getting ready to launch our online store we're going to change that up a little bit and uh, we're going to have some cool stuff in there we're going to have belt knife sheaths custom made we're going to have um, some cool tumblers there our hats t-shirt designs all that's going to be on our online store at houndsmanxp.com check it out you know in the united states we we opened up we broke down those barriers our constitutional republic that um broke down the the class barriers and different things so now the people on the frontier needed dogs to to do a, a wide variety of things and um but it just breaks my heart to see us lose that narrative. And, and that's really what motivates me every day to work on this podcast is to help restore that, restore the, restore our credibility in the wildlife management circles to restore our credibility with other hunters and things like that. So, uh, I think, I think we'd be, 
mistaken not to address some of the problems that have come along with that and how people continue to to damage us and fight against us in that and one thing that that brad luttrell with go wild um you know i talked to him about this at length and he's convinced that hunters don't do a good enough job of telling the whole story you know we've talked about this for for promoting this podcast you know we like to talk about the hunt we like to talk about the success of the hunt but we don't show the backstory we don't show you know enough of us raising those puppies and being engaged in the whole story the whole lifestyle um you know the training aspect of it and the time aspect and all that stuff it's just you get bogged down it's it's cumbersome to try to tell all that and but everybody wants a shot of the grip and grin at the end so we've yeah. painted ourselves as people that are only concerned about the end result we're not a, we're not we're not we don't do a good enough job of showing the process to get there mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and when you watch a YouTube video, you fast forward to the treed lion, the treed bear. I think that's the the entire world's culture metaphor, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you're right. That's and there are content creators out there that are doing that work hard to show the 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 absolute dregs. We're doing of better in general. We're and doing better than we did five years ago, Seth. I I, yeah. I believe that. I definitely do. I see some content creators in the hound sphere that show a lot of failed hunts failed trees following a lion for four days and never never even seeing it you know i think never, that's really important josh oh. michaelis has never shown any videos like that <laughs> <laughs> the failed did you know hunt. i never get outrun <laughs> oh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah totally um so so yeah i mean i think i agree with you fully on that and i guess <sighs> I'm going to take this from you because I really like it. I'm going to expand on it slightly. But if hunting with dogs is the most like unfair form of hunting, why did we invent firearms, archery equipment, atlatls, javelins? I'm going in reverse, <laughs> technologically speaking. But hunting with dogs is the least effective way to hunt overall. It's by far the most expensive and it's by far the least successful, especially in my world. So, mm -hmm. I mean, if I wanted to go out there and shoot 100 rabbits a day, I could easy as many rabbits as I could find with a Coors light in my hand. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's, or it's one, <laughs> you know, maybe. And, and so that's just silly. I mean, that's just so silly. How can the most primitive form of hunting aside from scavenging be the most unfair advantage? You know what I mean? Exactly. And it's just crazy. Exactly. Yeah. Was, that's the best defense. I think that's the, that's the first one that can make any person be like, Oh, yeah, I guess you're right. You know? Yeah, obviously the atlatls <clears throat> and those things were developed as a weapon that were adopted into the hunting culture. You know, they weren't developed for hunting. They were developed just like we've we've tracked this in, in our own lifetimes to see how military weapons have become uh, mm -hmm. you know, that, that technology has been used by uh ammunition manufacturers uh to to be marketed to hunting mm -hmm. you know with some with some limitations you know almost every state has certain limitations on on calibers and ammunition and and things like that so we're not saying you can hunt with an rpg that's not what we're saying we're saying that 
you know, like the bullet design that you're shooting was developed through um, military technology adopted to law enforcement and was found acceptable for hunting applications. So, you know, just to, just to, I wanted to clarify that so it didn't sound like we were, you know, totally ignorant to why why these things were developed. Archery was the first um, artillery in in armies. So, yeah. yeah. But but dialing it all the way back, hunters have adopted that technology over time. And the first types of hunting that are documented are a man and a dog chasing a beast. With a club <laughs> or a yeah. sharp stick. And hey, this I don't want to sound anti-technology, you guys. That's ridiculous. That's not the point we're trying to make. It's that when people, because like I'm not out there barefoot. Well, sometimes I'm not out there like in in like animal skins grunting at my friends. You know what I mean? It's 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 what we're trying to say is when someone tries to use these weaponized statements against you to understand that, hey, look, this is the most primitive form of hunting. It can't yeah. be the most unfair. You don't know, tell, don't tell me that don't tell, you know, come on on social media on one of my posts and tell me that that hunting with hounds is unethical and it's not fair chase and it gives 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 me an unfair <clears> advantage <throat> and then i see on your feed you thermalizing coyotes you know with a thermal scope it's like come yeah. on what? yeah are well, you serious yeah. you know and, and like okay look i can't stand an unbalanced conversation that's just who i am so i'm going to i'm going to put out my own um hypocrisy here i hate long range hunting i really don't like it at all it does nothing for me i find no interest in it I, but I, but here's the thing. I don't go around bashing long distance hunters and I don't go around trying to get it shut down. That's the difference, right? It's not for me. I don't like it, but you can also just not be an a-hole about it and, and respect our fellow hunters and yeah. not go around thrashing people and stand by them. You know what I mean? If you, if you're capable of making an ethical shot at those ranges, that's your, that just gets your goat. Okay. That's cool. That's for you, man. It's just not for me. And that's kind of where we're at with my buddy at work, by the way. That's where we've gotten to, where I've convinced him that it's not trashy, but he's just like, it's just not for me. And I'm like, that's cool, man. I don't like yellow cars, but, you know, not trying to get them banned. Right. So, that's yeah. th that's the a key, key statement right there is we don't have to crucify each other or throw each other under the bus if we, if yeah. we don't, don't like it. I mean, when you talk about long-range hunting – 200 years ago, anything over a hundred yard shot was, was long range hunting, you know? Right, so right. as the technology has gotten better again, you know, it's, it's become less of, um, uh, some kind of hunting feat to take a 150 yard shot when you were shooting a flintlock and you're loading it through the muzzle. Yeah. And yeah, on 150 yards, there are documentations, the historical documents show people, could do that but it was not something that was normal yeah it was an exceptional creature that could hit a man off a horse at 150 yards you know right which right. yeah that's a that's a really good shot side we note. called those not th those were the long riflemen the snipers yeah uh, from yeah. the revolutionary war and they were they were noted they're called riflemen but yeah getting back to the topic here what's the second point that that you had well it was that i'd already covered it It was that it's okay. that it's um that it, it's it's trashy to hunt with dogs because they do all the hunting. And okay. it's like, that's, we know that. The hunt, the houndsmen, guys just know that. You guys are already ready for that. It's, that's insane. <laughs> what was the yeah. third point? 
Third point. And, and so, well, the third point was that just like, it, it's a way, man, I got so lost in the weeds. Where was I? So I, it was a uh, first off that it's hounds do all the hunting. Oh, it's, it's inhumane to run something to death. Th- two, that it's uh trashy man. I got to come back to it. All right. <laughs> I should have wrote it down. Let's, it was, let's uh, rewind the tape. <laughs> yeah, we'll rewind the tape. <laughs> um, uh, I think you're on to something there. So let's since we touched on technology, I think that's something that that we battle as a hound hunting community a lot. And um, even on the legislative end of it, where it's it's being weaponized against our ability to hunt. And I just say this. To start off, you know, nobody, the anti-hunting crowd, and they have learned that they can't just come straight on for hunting, you know, for the most part. They've been, they've been unsuccessful. They spend a lot of money. They don't get necessarily what they want. So what I see more and more is taking away somebody's ability to hunt, and that's challenging the, t- the methods and inside mm-hmm. the methods of hound hunting that also includes technology and that includes things like gps and i haven't seen one in a couple years but every year uh every every so many years they revisit that and say well look they're using gps technology on these hounds their their main goal is to stop us from hunting with hounds and then they use the the tool that we use to try to undermine us to keep us from doing that Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and again, that just stems completely from, yeah, from ignorance and just trying to, trying to weaponize an idea that hasn't been looked past even the tiniest curtain, mm-hmm. you know, that's just too easy. I think our 24 hour news cycle, like mentality has permeated our culture and really made it quite venomous against everybody. You know, when we were talking last week, you were kind of starting to kind of come at me and grill me a little bit. In some of these questions, and, and I really still, liked I'm, that. I'm still planning on it. Yeah, I, I really, really some, liked that. I just yeah. want to lay some groundwork here, you know, for the for the conversation. But, um, you know, I, I the technology thing, I think, is something that, that houndsmen need to be prepared to answer. You need mm-hmm. to be prepared to, un, to be able to, to tell people why you put a GPS collar on your dog. The GPS collar does nothing other than allow you to keep track of your dog that you have got a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of investment in, a lot of emotional investment in that hound. I've seen bear hunters sit down and cry over dogs that are, that have been, you know, that have been injured or killed, um, either by roadway or by beast or whatever it was, you know, um, I've seen that. And so to think that there's not an emotional connection there is ridiculous, but we have to be prepared to give an answer for that, that challenge. And we just have to, we just have to deny and continually fight that, that, that GPS collar on that dog does not make it easier for us to harvest game. It simply doesn't. Um, <clears throat> It the only thing that that thing does for us is tell us where those dogs are. We've still got to put in the the footwork to get there. We've, yeah. I mean, it's we, the same thing as using one of these, like you and Chad said. Oh, you the, know, 
the the for, cell phone, the Onyx. Yeah, big game hunters can just pop this up and go straight to where the elk down. Mm-hmm. You can use your digital maps to get to a place. Yeah, the same and way that, you. Yeah, that, that's exactly what's happening with this hound stuff. I, I even on a, a smaller scale. I mean, I'm talking, you know, vast wildernesses of Idaho or New Mexico. If I'm coon hunting in Indiana, and my dogs are over a ridge, and I'm not familiar with it with with where they're at you know exactly where they're at exactly. i'm going to pull out my garmin and look and see where they're at and then plan my route to them once i'm there that is the time that i make the moral decision whether or not i'm going to harvest the animal or not right i mean and yeah that's just that just comes from not knowing or trying to appease that argument also like trying to trying to appease other sections of the hunting community that are anti-hound hunting because it's just so easy to dispel so easy to Mm -hmm. demolish and so yeah i'm glad that a lot of our listeners are engaged to this these points and are you know helping form this narrative i think that's really good and we got a long way to go well that that takes us to the the point that you were speaking of just a second ago and that's that is a question i put to you you know sin hound hunters can can say that hunting with hounds is a catch and release opportunity for the side hound guy catch and release is not an option Mm -mm. so my concern and the conversation that we had was how can we say that you turn you turn the the prairie missiles loose to run a rabbit down and it's going to die every time they catch it how is that fair chase? Anytime I put a scope on a mule deer, it's going to die. How is that fair chase? The, the, the end result isn't what makes the chase fair. It is the chase, the pursuit, mm-hmm. the, the, the harvesting of this animal. So it doesn't matter if the dogs put teeth on this game. It was the pursuit and I would, I'd be willing to say that sighthound coursing has as low a percentage rate as other difficult forms of hound hunting, as 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 uh, dry ground lion hunting or whatever other really hard. That's the only thing I know that's really hard that I've seen with my own eyes. And so, um, it's also extremely raw and primitive. You know, there's no, um, and I mean that technologically. It is, do the dogs catch it or not? In view, right there, right now. So, yes, I have no option of release. And I guess some people do. I I will say this is an extreme example, but there are people that have dogs that will bring them back a live hair. You can take it out of their mouth and it'll run off. So, like, that's extremely rare, though. That that doesn't happen in my world. But um, the argument for that, is going to have to go deeper and I'm more than happy to like peel back some of those layers because that we're not catching and releasing is not that big a deal for what we're doing. Um, well, yeah, but yeah. So I get, I'm stuttering around here. You know, the thing, the thing that confuses me at times, Seth, is I will see you or hear you say that your jackrabbit numbers are very low and, and so you go out and 
common sense or maybe ignorance, it, not even common sense, ignorance would lead me to say, okay, well, you say your jackrabbit numbers are low and you're, you're cry, but crying your jackrabbit population. And yet here's Seth again on Saturday with the prairie missiles out there trying to find a, a jackrabbit to run down and kill that can't turn loose. Yeah. So, so explain that and tell me how that can be an ethical decision when, when you already know your jackrabbit numbers are low, but I'm going to hunt anyway. Here's how I'd respond to this. So sighthounds are a super specialized weapon where we can hunt with them. Very small percentage of the area that is Southern New Mexico, less than 5%, maybe. Are you the pulling places, those numbers out of air? Is that your estimation? That's my estimation. Okay. Okay. They An are estimation. small remnant grasslands. And when I say small, they're enormous, but Southern New Mexico is enormous. So it's, it's all relative here. These, these remnant grassland patches where hair populations are already lower than the surrounding areas that are more suitable habitat. So the first point I make is this. One, there's a simple statement I heard from an old timer who's been hunting rabbits for 70 years. He says this, and it's the best way to put it. This is the most point blank thing. No rabbits, no fun. So if you kill all the rabbits in an area, you're not going to have a good time because there's no rabbits. So mm -hmm. we are already extremely self-limiting where we go, how long we spend on the ground, and how many hares we chase. Not how many hares we catch, how many hares we catch or chase. So we limit, we're limiting ourselves to one catch a weekend, and we have been since 2020, and we only limit ourselves to two chases. So if we get outrun by the first hare, we'll go chase another one. We do that just to limit our time out on the landscape, stressing out wildlife, stressing out hares. Nothing else cares, really. So... Um, that's the first thing. That's the most baser response. That's the easiest to justify in any way. If I kill all the jackrabbits that live in this area, it's not going to be very fun for us. That's the first thing to say. So we already go, there is no laws about how many rabbits you can hunt, how many coyotes you can catch. It's strictly hunter honor. And it really, really sucks to spend six hours looking for a jackrabbit. So if you spend six hours, you say you find one in 45 minutes, which can happen, and you catch him, you're like, man, I just drove three hours one way to hunt. I found him in 45 minutes, had a three-minute race. It was awesome. I really don't want to go home yet. No, go home, because now you just extended the amount of time to find a rabbit by the next time. So mm -hmm. the that's the first one. The second one is well, you just got... You, you, no, you go ahead. Go put ahead. out a lot of information there. I got to ask questions. No, go you ahead, said, please. You said, that, you said that the places you're hunting, I want to make sure I've got this right is not the most suitable habitat for jackrabbits. So if they're not where your common sense says, if you're going to catch rabbits, go where the rabbits are. So why are you spending time out there in these grasslands to begin with? Sighthounds are predators of the wide open. They need wide open grassland where brush covers less than 15% of the landscape. Mm -hmm. You need prairie, straight up real prairie. Rabbits yeah. don't, hares, I'm speaking, you'll never find rabbits out there. Hares do like open land, but they prefer shrub invaded grassland even more. Where you so can't, where you can't hunt, you would not run your side down. Bingo. Okay. So where we live in Southern New Mexico, these mega, imagine a bowl, imagine a huge shallow walk, like what you'd cook Chinese food in. The very bottom of the walk, the flat part, that's the grassland. That's between two to 12,000 acres of just grassland. Mm -hmm. 
but the rim of the walk is all well-draining shrubland. That's where most rabbits are. And when you jump, I'm sorry, hares, when you jump, and rabbits too, when you jump hares on the edges of the walk, the flat part, they're inevitably going to go for the walls of the walk. Always. They're always going for the cover. And the majority of the hares and rabbits live in the walls of the walk. So they're living in the 50,000 acres that surround the 10,000 acre grassland in the middle. Hares obviously go down into that grassland because this is just going to, I'm going to give this in a huge nutshell. If there's a hundred people living in the great spot and everyone has to walk out at night to go eat in the, in the mediocre spot, fortune favors the bold who live down in the flat spot. So they don't have to spend half the night creeping out into the food place. They're already there. So they get a right. four hour head start on the competition. So the bolder hares are the ones that live out in the grassland. The data is extremely scant on what percentage lives out there, but it's a lot less than in the brush country. Yeah. A lot yeah. less. Okay. Yeah. So, so basically you going out and catching a hare in the grasslands, your breeding populations are still up in the shrubs and the places yep. that you can't hunt. Yeah. So, so in biology, that would be called a source sink population dynamic. So you have an area that's what you'd consider a source. That's where the multiplication of their real numbers is happening. And we then you have what's called a, go ahead. We, yeah. I was just going to say, we don't, we don't want to educate people that much. <laughs> and then <laughs> you'd have kidding. a sink, which is a place where net. So you, you have your gross profit and you have your net profit. Net profit is after all your expenses, right? So a sink is that your net, you're in the loss. You, you may have had a lot of rabbits or hares go down into the grasslands, but most died off because of predation and whatever. So this is specifically speaking for my area, southern New Mexico, southeastern New Mexico. Places that are strictly prairie obviously have different po population dynamics, um, but I can easily talk about that as well. So that's the point I'm trying to make is that like where I'm hunting, that's where the least rabbits and hares are. Okay. So by default, we're not you're just a drop in the bucket on the population as a whole because we're already in a place where it's extremely risky for them to be anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So these are important. I don't want anyone to be like yawning. This is super important because when, if someone's really aggressively attacking you, it's really well, important to know your, know what you're doing. So you can definitely win that argument. Well, the reason I brought it up, the reason I brought it up and I want to do a podcast and focus <clears throat> on the sidehound side of it is because from my position, I, and because of my exposure to sin hounds, I can easily def defend that. Mm -hmm. But our culture and our society of houndsmen includes sidehound guys, and I need to be able to defend that too. I need to be able to talk about that, especially, <clears throat> you know, producing this podcast and having you on the podcast. I get asked about it routinely, you know. Are so, they questions similar to what you just asked me? Sure. Yeah. 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 Good. I want so, you to ask me the tough questions. I love to ask tough questions when I'm interviewing someone. <laughs> right. Right. Well, well there, there's also, well, go ahead. Go ahead. You were about to move into another point. No, I wasn't. I was going to give you the opportunity to move on. Well, there right. is one other point that I need, and this is the most important one. So here's the thing. What we're hunting matters, you guys, because how many offspring does a bear have a year? Do you know? Uh, three to four. Three to four. Now, how many offspring in, in a, a good hair? in a good in a good year? You know, yeah. usually two in two. a in a bumper crop. You know, we're looking at we're looking at three to four. 
And now how many offspring does a hare have? I have no idea. Exactly. A lot. They're literally a metaphor for reproduction, right? So I chased hares last year in the low population year. I chased 26. I caught 22. I caught 22. The elements, natural predation, cars running them over kills infinitely more than me out there hunting. And they want a female hare can produce an, they are only pregnant for three weeks and she can be pregnant twice at the same time. I don't even, so, I don't even get that, man. How's that? So, happen? so she, she, <laughs> she mates with a male, Duh. she mates, she gets pregnant. She's it's about not a, to deliver. It's not a jackrabbit that identifies as a male. It's actually <laughs> a real male. You know what? As long as they run good, I don't care. <laughs> so, 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 uh, okay. So yeah, she mates. She's about to deliver. She ovulates while she's still pregnant, finds a male, initiates their crazy, cool, crazy, badass mating ritual. That's like absolutely superior life form status. And then she gets pregnant again, delivers, only nurses her offspring for up to 11 days. And they're on their own. Oh, yeah, she's already pregnant again. And she's going to repeat that cycle in another three and a half weeks. So, yeah. It matters what you're hunting. It doesn't really matter if you're, yeah, you, you, they can replace themselves extremely quickly, quickly. Same for coyotes. They have an extremely legendary reproductive rate. So it's not like a bear or a mountain lion that has a super shallow reproductive rate. So that's the point I'm trying to make. What you're hunting matters a lot. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, that's part of understanding. And that's part of the experts, you know, experts on fixing my truck know how the truck works you know, more than I do. That's why I pay somebody else to do it. Um, so if you're going to, if, if you're going to live the lifestyle, then you know, need to know how all of these things work. And I think that's part that, that's the part that we have to stress is, is have some basic knowledge of, of wildlife management. Don't just drive down the road in the, the field that you see a bunch of turkeys in every day, say, oh, we got a lot of turkeys you know, because that's the only place you look at every day. Same way with, with bears and, and all of it. We have to understand the dynamics of wildlife management. If we're going to truly, truly be credible when we stand in front of policymakers and try to justify who we are and what we do or defend mm -hmm. who we are and what we do. Yeah. Which is to me, the most important part. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, fair chase is one of those things that, that we're going to keep beating the drum on here because I don't think that we have, I don't think houndsmen have championed the cause that it is. Um, I think at one time it was viewed as something that was very noble and something that was, uh, uh, something to celebrate, but somehow we've lost that and we just need to keep, keep, um, talking about it. I agree. Preserve, protect, promote. That's you been bet. our slogan since the beginning. Yep. <laughs> yep, for sure. For sure. And keep running, folks. That's all I got to say. Keep running. <laughs> keep running. Well, Seth, you got, any, you got any closing thoughts other than keep running? No, I think I covered everything. Maybe too much. <laughs> well, we're we're going we're gonna to start closing our podcast, the the Monday show anyway, with this.
Thanks for listening to the Houndsman XP podcast, the original fair chase method. Love it. Yep. Yep. Well, hey, till next time, Seth. Thanks for your time, buddy. Hey, thanks, everybody. Hey, one, and, uh, one thing I'd add. One thing I'd add, make sure you're tuning in on the, to the All Mixed Up podcast that's, that Seth and Chad are producing <clears throat> because there's a lot of information. There's going to be so much cool stuff. I mean, off the wall. That's what cool it was all stuff. about. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to focus on all the stuff hunting with dogs. That's not just like your mainstream kind of what you think. My my rat dudes, my sighthound guys, my weird bird dog people. We got a lot of crazy stuff coming. Me and Chad are going to be in a lot of airplanes this year. So stay tuned, you guys. <laughs> it's going to yeah. be cool. It is going to be cool. And it's entertaining. It's something that um, it, it's, it reminds me of like Micro's Dirty Jobs. You know, he doesn't go and just talk to the ordinary guy. He's looking for that ultra off the wall guy that's doing some crazy job and and that's what all mixed up is about exactly couldn't have put it better myself yep yep all right now thanks for listening to the houndsman xp podcast the original fair chase method see everybody